0: entrusting our souls
1: to the faithful creator that's a statement from 1 Peter Um, and particularly it's it's said in the context Peter actually says those who suffer according to God's will should entrust their souls to the faithful creator and keep doing good so the context is uh, those who are suffering uh, can actually know Assurance, um, and but there's something we, we don't have to wait till we're suffering to be in that place where we are able to entrust ourselves to God, knowing that He's our faithful Creator. Um, here, this is going to test your memories. Ignore you that a cheat by looking on the sheet. Can anyone remember? If you can't remember the actual words, but what was the the essence of the answer to Heidelberg? catechism question one what what is your only comfort in life and death it's a big ask isn't it to get you to remember that that um, i'll just read out what it says my only comfort in life and death that i am not my own but belong with body and soul both in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Sort of put it up there, no. <laughs> um, but that's that's a statement about assurance, isn't it? Um, and yeah, it's question one of the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of the heart of the Christian faith. Um, what that's really saying is the people who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism, their primary concern was that people should have this assurance; they should have comfort in life and in death. Um, and to know that it's grounded in um, the fact we belong to Jesus Christ who's bought us by his blood that he preserves us um, that the Father's will is that we not a hair can fall from our head unless he allows it um, and the Holy Spirit also gives me assurance so it's, it's the work of the trying God, Father, Son and Spirit that gives us assurance um. Um, tonight's study really is kind of an introduction to this whole theme, and what we're going to do over the next nine studies is each each time we'll just take a passage of scripture that will teach us more about assurance, and we'll see what they are at the end of the study. Christian assurance involves both the objective and the subjective. So the objective is like this fact the fact that doesn't change regardless of what you think or feel about it. So the the doctrine that's true regardless of of what we think or feel and the subjective which is the experience and obviously that can vary depending on our life situation or where we are at emotionally or in our hearts. Um, So assurance isn't just knowing facts and it's not just, feeling positive it's actually a combination of the two the father's goal for me is that I will both know the truth of his saving work in Christ the objective and that and that this saving work has been effective for me so that's the subjective Um, and the primary fruit of assurance is joy Um, so assurance is not just knowing something and knowing something's true for me but it should have that fruit of, you know, rejoicing of, of knowing joy in God and who He is, what He's done, and that it's done. It, he's done it for me. Um, I just keep forgetting to click through this. So, the objective is the doctrine, uh, which some theologians call the perseverance of the saints, the idea that those whom God has saved. He will keep safe and secure to the end. The saints will persevere through everything. And the the subjective is this experience of personal assurance where I know um, that he saved saved me, that I belong to him. Um, So let's just think for a moment about how these two interact. So if we think of my state which is the objective, what God says about me, um, I could fall into one of two categories. Either I'm saved because God has saved me or I'm not saved. They're really the two categories of all human beings. They're either saved or not saved. They're either Christian or not Christian. They either have faith in Christ or not. So that's the objective. Um, Then there's what I know, what I think, what I feel and how I feel about it, the subjective side of it. Um, I either know my state, so I know either that I'm saved or that I'm not saved. Uh, If I know that I'm saved, then that's true assurance. See, it's the objective God has saved me, the doctrine, and it's the subjective and I know it and I'm convinced of it. And that's, that's where God wants us to be as Christians. Um, if I know that I'm not saved, then that's what the Bible calls unbelief. I don't believe this and I know I don't believe. I know I'm not a Christian. Okay. What do you reckon is the next one under my knowledge so I know my state under subjective I don't, know. I don't I don't know my state so what if I what if I'm saved <coughs> but I don't know it or I I don't feel like I know it or I don't feel sure about it well, that's that's doubt See, there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is when you say, I've heard it, but I refuse to believe it. Doubt is when I've heard it and I want to believe it, but I struggle. You know, it's like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, Help my unbelief. Um, if I don't know my state and I'm not saved, in other words, I think I'm saved, but I'm not then that's a false assurance um, you could say that's, that's kind of nominalism you know, people who say oh yeah I'm a Christian I've put Christian on the census and if you say to them what does that actually mean they might say something really vague like well I think there's a God or I'm a good person um, they don't actually give you the, the definition of what a, a true Christian is they have this sense of, yeah, when I die, I'll go to heaven everything will be fine. But they have this false assurance. Um, now, you see I've got, I've got a few other arrows there. Um, the arrow at the top is if we go from right to left, from not being saved to being saved, well, that's conversion, isn't it? That's the work that God does to bring me from a place of being lost to a place of being saved. And that's objective. God does that. I don't convert myself. God takes me and he transfers me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son and I'm saved. Um, Subjectively though, we can go from knowing my state that I'm saved, that true assurance, things can happen in our life and we're discouraged and we go down to the the area of doubt and struggle and fear Um, but notice that's not that's not deconversion if you go from a place of assurance to doubting it doesn't mean that you've you've gone from saved to not saved it's not loss of salvation it's simply a discouragement Um, and what discipleship is about is actually encouraging one another to go back to that place of true assurance um, as a Christian. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. So um, like I said God's God's goal for us, whether we're in unbelief or false assurance as non believers is he wants us to come to a place of assurance and if we are Christians and we're in a place of doubt uh, he wants us to be able to come to a place of true assurance and and peace and and confidence in him so let's uh, let's look at these two aspects let's first look at the objective the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints um Three points about this firstly God's action of salvation begins and ends in eternity beginning with foreknowledge and completed with glory so let's look up Romans 8 29 to 30 and now we're um now we're sitting in roughly a circle again we can go back to the working clockwise around the circle for people reading so I'll we'll get you, Tony, to start us off with Romans. For
0: those, uh, just Romans uh, 8, uh, 29, 30. Right? Yep. Uh, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be confirmed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, he also called those he called. he also justified those he justified he also glorified
1: thanks Tony Um, so see how there's that's the kind of the big picture from beginning to end it begins in eternity past
0: does that mean each person when he's born God knows what he's going to be like So, so how? So, do we expect to
1: get the assurance that
0: will be in the book of life at the end
1: of in a time? I think, I think what that's saying is God. God knows whose whose name is in the book of life. um, But it's it's, I think it's more than just knowing the future. Um, the idea of God knowing us. So it doesn't, it's not just that he knows about us. This is God actually knows us. It's a knowledge of us, which God is able to do because he can know us even before we exist, even before he creates us, however many thousands of years into the future he makes a person, he can actually know them intimately. Um, so I think it's, it's more than just God knowing that we will be there in the end. Um, it's it's God actually... Um, he's
2: still choosing us as well, because yeah. he's made a position to
1: choose us. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, he, he doesn't use the word choose here, but the word chosen is used in other places. We saw it in Ephesians, didn't we? And so it's, it's implied in foreknow. God has deliberately... Set his uh, favor upon us in eternity past even before uh, we existed or before he made us um, yeah so it 's more than more than that God is able to look into the future and see what happens um, he, he can he does do that, but what he sees happen is what he 's already Determines at the beginning would happen anyway. So it's it's because he's foreknown us that um, that we re, we reach the goal, which is being glorified, which is then eternity future, eternity with God in His presence, um, transformed into the image of Jesus. But I um, think
2: when we read the Bible, we just see time in a linear
0: fashion, whereas God has got a different
1: view of time. Yeah, human beings. We can only see, we can only look back and see the past. Occasionally, God gives us some insight into the future a little bit, you know, and we know something of the ultimate endpoint of our future, don't we? But we can't see it unless God has revealed it to us. So, you know, God's plan for us is is secure in that it's the plan that he had from, the, from eternity past, from the very beginning, and he'll complete it in the end. So we're, we're somewhere along that timeline, but the timeline is, you know, it's like a, a train on the railway tracks. You know, the other day I hopped on the train to go to Flinders Uni. I you know, if I get on to Adelaide, platform two at 11.04am, in fact, I sat down on the train, and there were two other people there, and the voiceover came and said, you are on the train to Seaford. And we all looked at each other and said, what? And then, obviously, the person realised I'd made a mistake. He said, you are on the train to Flinders. <laughs> thought, yes, OK. We're on the right... Because the track would take us... Take us. We knew if we were on that train, we'd get to our destination. Um
3: Sorry, right. just, just raise a question about beginning and ending in eternity. That- that kind of jars with me because yeah. what does it mean to say
1: something ends in eternity? Okay, yeah, yeah. There
3: is no end,
1: and yet. Yeah.
3: It could be like so, a bus stop and hop off. Oh, you pop?
1: And yeah, but yeah, probably bad bad choice of words there. Ends. I should have said completed like I did in the in the last bit, yeah. But it doesn't mean it all, it all stops. Yeah. But it it is a. It's a destination, yeah, kind of Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. It's a, but not endless, infinite.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That's
3: not what Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I suppose there w- there will be a, a sense of, um, yeah, it is finished, and so. You know, there, there will be some things that will come to an end, obviously sin and suffering and that, but um, other other things will will end. Um, and I guess you could say God's action of salvation will end because he won't be saving us, yeah, will he? He will have saved us, but that saving work will be ended, will be completed in that sense, yeah. But I think we'll still, be, we'll still be 100% dependent on him, in that sense. So we won't say, OK, now I've done the work, now now go off for the rest of eternity and do your own thing and you're OK. We'll still be dependent upon his spirit at work in us to, uh, to keep us.
3: We're not saying God's action of salvation has its origin and its fulfilment. Yes. In yeah.
1: Good. Oh, that's
3: good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll change that on the slide so that when I put the audio to this, it'll it'll say that. Yeah. Good. Let's look up Philippians one six, which is um, a great verse to memorise. Not only because it's short and easy to memorise, but because it's um, of what it says. Um, Peter, do you want to read that for us?
3: Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you Will carry it on to completion
1: until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's expressing the same sentiment, isn't he? There as, as Romans 8, but just in fewer words. God's begun a work; it began in eternity, and he's going to. Therefore, he's going to complete it because God doesn't. God doesn't start something and then give up halfway. What he starts, he he completes. Um, so, Paul. Paul here has a confidence for the Philippians. Isn't he? He's confident that the work God does has started in you. He'll bring it to completion. Um, yeah. So that's um, the first aspect of the doctrine. And the second is that when God saves a person, he does it completely and permanently. Uh, let 's go to john six thirty seven to forty for that. Um, So see how the son's salvation of sinners is grounded in the son's commitment to doing the father's will. Um, So see how the first, I can't read this, verse 39 is kind of a, a general statement about the father's will for the son. So the father uh, gives the son something to do, and the father's will is that uh, everything that the son does, uh, he actually accomplishes. He raises it up at the last day. So that's kind of, and it's it's there in it's not in personal pronouns. It's it's in the neuter. So it's like yeah, anything the father gives me. Uh, will be successful, will be raised up at the last day. Um, so that's the principle. The, father, the son is committed to doing the father's will and to seeing it through to the end. Um, and on the basis of that then is verse 40. If that's true, then anyone who looks at the son and believes in him, will have eternal life. And it's not just life, but eternal life. So it's life that is eternal; it's permanent because of the nature of it.
0: The um, so Father has given him a task, right? Mm. So this question that I shall lose none of all that He has given me. And yeah. How how can Jesus be sure that he can convert everybody? So so that we all. Mm. People who, are, who just don't believe, and and these are people who can, may not have the salvation or life. Yeah,
1: and they're not the ones that the Father's given to him yeah. in that so sense. Yes.
0: So, how much responsibility is put on to Jesus too, so that he doesn't lose any of his sheep or whatever? But it can, oh, oh.
2: It can also can be read with the stress the other way around that this is the will of him who sent me. So, it's Father's will. He sent to you, that he should not lose anybody. Yeah. Mm. So the stress could be stressed on the front part of it too. So it's a father's willing him to make sure that he Yeah.
3: Lose yeah.
2: So the father is giving the assurance that this is my will and it will be done. So none you'll, will be. Lost.
1: You'll be successful in the task of have so sent you to do. Yeah, yeah.
2: Maybe on the front part
1: mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually a partnership, isn't it, between yeah. father and son. The father says this is the plan. And it's foolproof. It's going to work. Yeah, I guess what
2: you saying, though, is mm, what about the people who don't accept Christ? How does that factor in?
1: Is that what you're saying? That, yeah. Um, well, see, he, Jesus says everyone who looks to, me, who looks to the Son, looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life. So he's not saying everyone. He's saying only those who look to the Son and believe. But if you look at the parallel, then those who look to the Son and believe are those whom the Father has given to him. In sense, so it's going back to that, um, the Father who foreknew us before the foundation of the world and who, who chose us uh, are the ones who ultimately look to the Son and believe. Yeah. But you know, this, the Son has been entrusted by the Father with this task of coming into the world and um, of taking hold of all of those that the Father gives him who believe in him and ensuring that he doesn't lose any of them and that they'll be raised up at the last day. That's the that's the son's commitment to doing the Father's will. It's not just I'll come and die and then we'll see what happens next. It's I'll come and die those who believe in me, I've got them, and they're secure. That's so secure that they're going to be raised up. They've got the guarantee of the resurrection. Um, thirdly, God's work is not contingent on human works. It's really important. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10.
3: It is by grace, we have been saved with faith, and this not from your faith, which is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared to provide for us to do.
1: Yeah, I think we, um, obviously, that's, that's the. It's the heart of salvation, isn't it? That it's by grace, and it's not by works. Um, and often, I think, when we we start to doubt or struggle with assurance, we're actually starting to forget that because we're starting to think that um, it, it's now it's based on what I do, and if I look at what I do, then I'm never up to scratch. I'm I? I never make it, um, and I'm, if I'm, I'm always failing, I'm always sinning. Um, but if you think of it this way, we know that our good works will never be good enough to save us. That's salvation by grace. You know, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So why would we think that our bad works could be bad enough to unsave us? So, you know, it's one thing to say it's not my works that have saved me, but God's grace. Um, But we're still operating by works if we think but now that I'm saved I could maybe do something so bad that I would become unsaved. If Christ actually died for my sin in total then he died for all my sin. And Including the sin that I think is so bad that he could never forgive. Um, yeah, but we don't we don't
2: live licentiously,
1: though. No, but we we if we. I know
2: what you're saying. Yeah,
1: yeah. If if we if we think, oh, it doesn't matter how I live, so I can just live licentiously it doesn't matter, then I don't actually understand grace, do I? Because grace says um, your works are actually so bad that they cause you to deserve hell. So Paul says, I've died to sin, how could I live in sin? You know, When I've understood grace, you know, how, how could I say, well now it doesn't actually matter how I live, or it's, uh, I can live sinfully and it doesn't doesn't matter. Um all the people
2: that from grace doesn't have you have grace every good work. The outcome know, yeah. you know, you can do good works in a grace, you know. God's mm. grace from God's grace we do good works. Yeah. Yeah. Not for the sake of showing that we do good works, but it's the outcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We his workmanship created for good works, which he prepared in advance so even our good works we can't take credit for because God's already prepared it in advance for us to do um, that yeah.
2: unsaved thing gets me because mm. if, if you're a believer of Christ you're supposed to be saved however bad your sin but then we'll be judged for our sins yes. so the, the ultimate sin is not believing in Christ
1: yeah. yeah. so is that the
2: only sin that will unsave us is, um,
1: there,
2: is there any other sins that can unsave because by right we've we'll been we'll be saved. So is
1: that the only sin that will unsave us? That's the only the only unforgivable sin. Jesus Jesus talked about you know every every sin will be forgiven except so the Holy
2: Spirit?
1: The blas- blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And what's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's to refuse what the Holy Spirit is doing, which is Pointing us to Christ, you know, Jesus said, "The Spirit will come, and He will teach you everything about Me." So, the work of the Holy Spirit is to show us Christ. And if we resist the Holy Spirit and reject the work the Holy Spirit's doing, then we're actually operating in unbelief, but rejecting we're the gospel. About
2: committing the unforgivable, yeah. unforgivable sin, then we, we aren't committing the unforgivable
1: sin. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. Like, yeah. If you've if you've committed the unforgivable sin, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't
2: bother you. Yeah, yeah. because
1: you're actually you're right. in that box of I'm not saved, I'm not saved. Yeah. and I know it.
2: I do um, get yeah. myself yeah. Like, personally. I, there are some situations where I just think, man, that person, if I was God, <laughs> sounds a bit arrogant. Mm. They're going to be getting in by the skin of their teeth, you know. Like. Mm.
1: Well, so you can't even. You can't even get in by the skin of your teeth. You're either like, in like, or. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, you
2: think people who've. I mean, Hitler or something. Mm. You know,
1: well, Hitler wasn't I mean, a Christian.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah, but. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'm not saying he was either, but. See, the thing is, I guess, God alone actually knows a person's heart. So, you know, we we look at people on the external and we say. We make judgments to say that person is a Christian and that person isn't a Christian, um, and we are told by their fruits you will know them. So the you know the and we'll we'll look at this in a moment. You know, obviously the the way a person lives and the way they speak and the lifestyle they embrace um, is actually an indication of actually what's in the heart. Um, but it, in the end, it's it's not actually up to us to make that final call, is it? I'm um, you know,
2: feeling really wild.
1: Well. Just as mm. that Patricia was saying, she was saying, whatever we do, even the good works, it's mm. not us, it's God's. Yeah. God's
2: grace. So back to back, when we do bad works, it's not me, it's Satan. Why did my father protect me from Satan? Mm, well, I think we yeah. think we are responsible for no, it I th- that I thing. think
1: we, it's our flesh yeah. we we are we're still yeah we're still accountable. Well. Yeah,
2: also yeah. more yeah. yeah. as a Christian, you mm. have mm. enough
0: Holy
2: Spirit in your mind to repel Satan's temptations and mm. not do
0: the
1: bad things. it's just something yeah. wild that came into my head. I had yeah. yeah, but I mean, I guess the thing is we we don't though, do we? We still sin, mm. but the 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 sign that God is at work in us, which we'll see in a moment, is uh, we sin and we say, that was sin, that was terrible, that grieves God and I repent and I come to the cross and I receive forgiveness. So that's the mark of a Christian isn't that they don't sin, it's that when they do sin, they repent and they receive forgiveness and grace and keep going. Yeah. Let's, let's think more about now the, the experience, the personal assurance of salvation. It comes from really three things. Uh, firstly, it's faith in the promises of Christ. And that's really just saying, in a, in a sense, I've heard the doctrine, the truth of God's salvation, what we've just looked at, um, and I lay hold of that and I trust that. So let's go to John 14, to 29.
2: I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens. So then, when it does happen, you will believe.
1: Okay, thanks for that. Now, what are, what are the things in what Jesus says there that speak about Assurance. Or um, about the experience of assurance. What are what are the words or phrases he uses?
2: "I'm going away and I'm coming back." Please. Yeah. Yeah. Completely
1: gone. He's coming back to us. Yeah, that's that's more though of him talking about the objective, isn't it? The fact this is something that's going to happen. I'll go away, come back. But where's where's the experience come into it? The subjective aspect that he's talking about.
0: uh, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. So. so, so Don't worry about it. I'm with you if you're, you're with me. Yeah. Don't
1: be yeah. So if your heart is troubled, that's discouragement, isn't it? And if you're afraid, Jesus says, "I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a promise that will actually deal with a troubled heart and deal with fear." Um, and at verse, beginning of verse 27, he says, "Peace, I leave with you. I give you peace." Again, that's that's a subjective. Isn't it? That's the experience in the heart of not being troubled and not being afraid is, is peace um, and, and what is it, what is the promise he's, the objective promise he's giving that gives us that peace and comfort well it's what Cheong pointed out isn't it yeah I'm going to the father and, and I'll come back um, to take you to be with me um, and when G- in John's Gospel particularly where he talks about going to the Father he's talking about the whole th- act of him going to the cross and then being raised from the dead and going to the Father's right hand so it's not just I'm leaving this world and going to the Father it's actually I'm going via what I'm going to do at the cross um, so his objective work of dying rising ascending to the right hand of the Father where he's now interceding for us Um, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to make you know that, he's going to give you peace and he's going to steal your troubled hearts and take away your fear as you're having, have you have faith in Christ's promises Um, secondly we have the witness of the Holy Spirit with our spirit Romans 8 14 to 17...
2: suffer
1: with Him in all of that we also be glorified with Him yeah. so what's, what does the Spirit do what does He testify to us that we're children of God um, and not it's not just a, an objective thing is it because we cry Abba that's a very subjective thing, isn't it? It's a relational thing. You're speaking directly to God and using that term of affection and intimacy, not just "God, I know you're my Father" in theory or in doctrine, but I actually relate to you as a child, calling you Abba, Abba Father. Um, that that term, um, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, is um, He's actually using the um the the legal terminology of a of a witness in court um and so it's kind of like we we hear that because of Christ we've been made children of God and so we make that confession say yes I am a child of God God is my father and it's like the Holy Spirit then comes alongside us and says yep you're right he he backs us up he testifies so we're bearing witness to what Christ has done and the spirit comes along and he bears witness with us and um, supports us in that um, but it's you know that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit in us is, uh, assures us of our, our um, status as children of God thirdly pursuing a clear conscience and good works um, let's look at 1 John 2, 1-3, 1 to 3. And 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. So, firstly, 1 John 2, 1 to 3.
2: So that says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, then, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense Jesus Christ. The righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. Okay. That's so well read out. It was very well read <laughs> out. <laughs> really um.
1: so see how there's, there's in that there's the objective and the subjective mm-hmm. so the objective is um, Jesus Christ the righteous is the propitiation for our sins mm-hmm. so he's done that work of salvation um, but then the subjective is well how do I know how do I know that you know, he's, he's a propitiation for us and for the whole world how do I know he's propitiation for me Personally, how do I know that that's actually happened for me? Well, my life changes. You know, I actually, I'm actually obeying his commands rather than living in rebellion against him. Um, keep his, yeah, keep his commandments. How we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments? So we're actually, we're actually supposed to look at ourselves and say, Oh, actually, I. I obey him. I, my life is different now that I know him and my life is different now to how it was 10 years ago as I've grown and matured in him. And that's, that is the evidence. You know, it's you know, Like James says, you, know, you say you have faith, well, I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith is the evidence that... Sorry, works are the evidence that faith is genuine and living. Um, so we, sh- we should be able to look at us at our lives and that gives us an assurance that he's at work in us. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11 is a similar. Jesus has
2: given us everything needed for life and Godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus He has given us, through these things, His precious and very great promises so that through them He may escape the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For these things are yours, and are increasing among you, to keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind, and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided
0: for you.
1: Thanks for that um, so again see there's there's the objective there his divine power has granted to us all things through the knowledge of him and he's called us to his own glory and excellence um, excellence and there's these precious and very great promises and ultimately that we may become partakers of the divine nature so there's the there's the objective truth of God's salvation, his purpose for us in Christ. Um, but then he calls us to uh, to then strive to display that in in our lives and all of these qualities and virtues and so on. Um, and so in verse 10, where he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, he's not saying... Um, these things will cause you to be called and chosen, but these things will be the evidence. Um, because if, if you are called and chosen and have been saved by Christ, then if you strive to do these things, you'll actually find that you're able to do them because the Spirit's at work in you and they will, they will actually come naturally to you as a, as a child of God. And you won't be doing them to try and earn merit You'll just be doing them, to, flowing out of the thankfulness that you have. Um, so the presence of good works gives us the assurance of growth in grace. Um, what happens, though, if there's an absence of If we look at ourselves and we say, oh, actually my life is doesn't really reflect the glory of God I don't see many good things in my life well the absence of good works leads us to repentance and repentance is a sign that God's at work in us too so if we look at our lives and we're pretty disappointed at how we've been living and behaving um, then we repent and we're only able to repent because God's at work in us anyway and that, that itself is an assurance of Growth in grace.
2: But if you
0: think
1: that
2: you're so good, that's still wrong.
1: Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, if you look and you see lots of good works and you say, gee, I'm a good person, <laughs> because you're not saying, well, these are only works that God prepared in advance for me to do anyway, so I can't get the glory for them. I'm only able to do them because God's at work in me that's not the quote I thought was going to appear anyway, it's every Christian's solemn duty to pursue joy so joy, the fruit of that experience of assurance God is most glorified in us when we're able to rejoice in the certainty of his salvation of us and um, so God is glorified not just by us believing the truth, but he's glorified when we live a life that's filled with joy because we have that assurance.
0: What is joy? How do you define in mm. human experience what is joy? Is mm. it happiness or is it a contentment Or How does one yes, feel, you feel it.
1: when it's joy? It's, well, it's, it's not always happiness because if i'm being tortured for my faith i'm not going to be happy but i can still have a joy in the midst of suffering you know i mean you shouldn't ex- if someone is feeling really happy when they're suffering then they're not actually being real are they suffering doesn't make you happy it makes you, makes you sad but even in deep sadness you can have a deep seated confidence and peace That no matter what I'm going through, God God is in control, God loves me and I'm secure in him. I think that's joy, it's that, it's a, happiness is one of the subsets of joy, Mm -hmm. but joy is...
2: Joy uh, is present even when you're suffering deeper.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it
2: brings into mind the, the the word that says
1: take heart. Yeah, yeah, take heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Yeah. So just quickly, some ways to cultivate personal assurance, just flowing out of all of that stuff. Uh, first Jay, thing is. That. Sorry.
2: That joy is there even when the suffering Do
3: you, think oh, you. Yeah, I have lament, times of lament. Is it possible to praise God when we're suffering? Because I think Mm. if we're able to praise God even when we're suffering, tied up in that praise,
2: there is an element of joy. Yeah. Because with that joy there is hope. So maybe still expressing all our sadness I think we need to acknowledge that suffering causes immense pain and grief but what you're saying Peter is that we can still have faith and hope in the suffering, knowing that God is with us.
3: I think so. I think mm. there can be some positiveness mm. in the relationship to God, even in, in the darkest times. I mean, I know yeah. it's sometimes it was the darkest times of my life that drew me to God and that relationship there. Because you had nothing. things. Yeah, and it was sort of through that. It doesn't <laughs> deny all that that's going on. It's just that in that relationship, there's yeah. joy. And it took all that mm. real stuff happening that was really bad in my life to actually make that connection with God. That's mm. a, that itself you can't take away the positives of that connection. And it happened. It took all the
0: horrible stuff going on for that to happen. Yeah. Well, so, suffering yeah. is if you build you know, suffer, and you build your character, and then mm. does that give you joy that uh, you're achieving something?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what uh, both James and Paul basically say. Um, count it joy when you face suffering because you know that suffering produces character, character uh, patience, patience produces character and character produces hope so in the midst of your suffering you can actually know God is using this suffering to accomplish glory, to accomplish good out of it um, so I mean if you think of Job you know Job Job wasn't happy a happy person you know, he'd lost everything. He'd lost his entire family except for his wife, who all she said was curse God and die. You know, he wasn't, he wouldn't say Job was happy, but uh, Job had everything stripped from him and he still had trust in God. And, you know, suffering does that. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, but he
2: went through
1: hell. Yeah, yeah went through hell. Yeah, and he, and he,
2: and he felt
0: it. He mm. mm. be, didn't become disillusioned.
1: No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So in that sense, joy joy is not an emotion. So joy is, it's a state of mind, state of mind and heart that can take you through even you know persecution and being killed. In a yeah. In, in a sense, yeah, that seems to be what the New Testament writers are saying you know. counter all joy, brothers and sisters when you face trials of every kind is what James says I
2: think you what Peter it, said yeah. was really yeah. helpful because it's like during the, if you're in the dark you've got nothing, you've got no hope mm-hmm. but if you see a little flickering candle I mean that's yeah. a bit simplistic but we are drawn to the light, it's our only hope when mm-hmm. you're in the dark.
1: And when everything else in the world is gone, you still, we still have the love of the Father, not we? But it doesn't so.
2: take away from
3: that awful pain and mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. This, um, of, well, for me, uh, the words would say, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus mm. endured the suffering. The suffering was a thing of joy, but it mm. was the joy that was in front of him. Yeah. That carried him through. Yeah, absolutely. So we mustn't mistake in thinking, Oh, we must be joyful in the suffering. No, the joy is in a relationship and it's apart from the suffering. We don't write off people's suffering or somehow pretend that this joy in the suffering itself it's not in the
2: suffering.
1: No. It's Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. But there was still he still knew the 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 joy that was to come before him, and he still knew that he was in being forsaken by God, he was actually perfectly still in the Father's will for him because that was what was planned from eternity, that would happen so he certainly wasn't happy you know, he was in incredible pain and anguish and darkness but there was that security in the Father ultimately so how do we cultivate personal assurance? Well we regularly remind us myself of the sufficiency of Christ's saving work um, from the scriptures. Um, Robert Murray McShane Oh I thought that was going to pop up. Robert Murray McShane made this quote For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. So we we look at ourselves and we see God at work in us and that should encourage us, but if we just become introspective and look only at ourselves without looking at christ we become discouraged so keep reminding i should keep reminding myself of what christ has done for me um, and um, on oh, the other point use times of ease to train your heart for times of hardship So when times are easy and you can just sit down and open your Bible, then we should be doing that, shouldn't we? And and looking at the promises, so that when the hard times come and we're being discouraged, we don't have to think, oh, I wonder if there's something in the Bible that can encourage me. Where is it? I don't know. We've we've already memorised. Oh, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And I can hold on to that even in the depths of what I'm going through. Secondly, be intentional in addressing God as Father. Because again, it's it's expressing that relational thing. You're acknowledging that you are a child of God. Um, Calling God Father has the side benefit of affirming my adoption to sonship. So if I call God Abba Father... I'm affirming I'm a, I'm a child, I'm a son, but my focus isn't on me, it's on him. I'm, I'm calling him father, I'm glorifying him for who he is, but at the same time, I'm affirming who I am as a son. And pursue love for my neighbour in conjunction with loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Christians encourage one another by telling them how we've seen God at work in them. Um, so obviously that calls for us to be in relationship with each other doesn't it to to be seeing one another and to be recognising God at work among us so that when we notice it we can say to someone oh I've, I've seen this I've seen God at work in you in this way or uh, God used you I saw God using you in this context in some way um, and so that's actually more about cultivating assurance for one another isn't it than for us but but also as we're you know we know the call to love our neighbour to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do Um, we're called to actually do that together so it's not just about me individually doing good works it's us together as the body of Christ working together to do those things
0: just like uh, with Qin and Chu working in China, mm. people see the good works they doing for the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Often they say, oh, it's a Christian way, that's how, yeah. how they can praise, uh, oh, it must be good, God, uh, to be yeah. able to do good works like in China. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and we pray that they won't say, Qin and Chu are really good people they'll say, um, Chin and Chu, as you said, must know a really good God if they're, if they're able to do this thing. And so they praise your Father who's in heaven, like Jesus said, let your works be seen so that people will praise your Father, not praise you, but praise your Father in heaven. Because as you're doing the good works, you're also talking about the grace of God and sharing about the gospel and people understand oh you're not doing this because you're good you're doing it because uh, because of the God that you know and I think they have it isn't
2: it because one of the people you're
3: trying to ask you people that oh you come and do all this you must be Christian it, isn't it You yeah, we, are yeah. yeah. in your shopping mm. centre and went we've a cup of coffee and the girl was serving us says uh, where are you from I'm from Australia so what are you doing because I was doing some work in the our response
1: must be Christians hmm. yeah. It? yeah because <laughs> they don't experience anyone doing that kind of thing unless unless they're Christians yeah so uh, this is where this is where we'll go for the next uh, next nine studies and you might notice that the passages are all the introductions to New Testament letters um, Except for the last two, because the letters themselves are short enough to, for us to actually look at the whole book. So Second John is only 13 verses long, and Jude is only 23 verses long. Um, so we're just going to work our way through these passages, and by studying the introductions to these epistles, what we're actually going to see is the relational nature of encouragement, because these are people writing to other people with the aim of wanting to encourage them so it's it's not just a a treatise or a um, a document it is they are letters between people who brothers and sisters in Christ who want to encourage one another Um, and what they in these introductions what they bring out is the observed interaction between doctrine and experience so they they know these people and, and they'll be saying things like um, uh, your reputation is known because of these things. So they're saying I'm seeing God at work in you and that's the encouragement. Um, so a good question for us to, to think about um, as we go through this is what was someone write in a letter to our church? someone wrote an epistle to Bethel Christian Church, how would they open it? What would they say about what they have seen of God at work uh, in us?